Good morning, River City. It's good to be with you this morning. My name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, like John said, if you're new or visiting, uh, welcome. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, we'd love to help you get plugged into the community here at River City. And like John was saying as well, small groups is probably the best way to do that. So definitely check one of those out. Uh, we'd also love to invite you into a short little sermon series we're beginning our year together with here on Sunday mornings, where for just a couple of weeks, we're taking a look at what the Bible has to say about money and why our relationship with money seems to matter so much to God. And like I've mentioned every week, because I think it bears, it's worth repeating, uh, we are not doing a series on money here at River City because the budget's in bad shape and we really need to increase giving, or because we're going to like hit you with a it's like a surprise building campaign later this year. We're trying to prep you, right? Uh, the budget's fine. We just renewed our lease. We're not going anywhere. We're not trying to pump you for money, right? Additionally, uh, we're not. This is not some churchwide financial intervention, right? I'm sure in a, in a room this size, there are some of you that are in a really healthy spot financially. Maybe others who are in a more of an unhealthy spot. And we'd love to help you wherever you're at. But but your current financial status is not the reason why we're doing this series. Instead, we're we're. Instead, the reason why we're talking about money for these couple of weeks is because even though we really don't like talking about it, God's Word talks about money all the time. And while it's not the most talked about topic in the Bible, it's certainly up near the top. And the sheer volume of biblical content on the topic of money and possessions and our relationship with those things should clue us into the fact that it's an area of our lives that God thinks is really important. What we saw at the beginning of our series is the reason why our relationship with money matters so much to God isn't because God's afraid of it, isn't because he hates it, isn't because he's anti-money, but it's actually because he really loves you and he wants you to love him. And he understands better than any of us the immense power that money has to either deepen your love for him or to divert your love for him away to something else. As we saw in Matthew 6, Jesus taught that what we do with our money, our possessions, how you spend it, how you save it, how you invest it, how you use it, how you give it, it not only reveals your heart and what you love and serve, it impacts your heart and what you love and serve. Right? When he says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also, he's saying, listen, your heart follows your money. And so if we want to be a people who both enjoy and who emanate God's love, then we're going to need to understand the power that money has and how to harness that power so that it becomes a tool that serves to deepen our love for the Lord rather than a master that diverts it away from him. And we saw last week how harnessing the power of money requires this fundamental shift in the perspective in the way we view and approach it. And instead of living with the perspective of selfish owners who think what's mine is mine, I'm going to use it the way I want. God calls us instead to live with the perspective of a generous steward who thinks what's mine is actually God's. I'm going to use it the way he wants. You see, a steward understands that everything they have, including the skills and abilities you use to make and generate whatever wealth you have, are actually God's resources, and that they have been entrusted to you with the responsibility that you might manage those resources according to God's vision and his values, his purposes, his priorities. As we saw in Paul's instructions last week to the Corinthians, that generosity towards God and towards his kingdom work 
That that's the top priority of a steward's resources. One author put it this way, generosity is the fullest expression of the life of a steward because it expresses in practical and powerful ways the message that's at the very core of our faith, that God gave his only son so that you and I might have life. Janie Ortland, she, she added this, she said, we are to be generous because we've experienced the redemptive generosity of God. We talked last week how the reality is when the good news of the gospel and God's generosity towards you sinks deeply into your heart, what happens is that we increasingly become characterized by living with the perspective of a generous steward, one who gives first and who gives regularly and who gives proportionately and sacrificially and cheerfully. But while the Bible's instructions about how stewards of God's resources are supposed to view and use money begin with giving, they don't end there. And that brings us to the focus of our study this morning. Right, the question then is, what do you do with the rest of it? Right? Specifically, uh, how are we to stewards God's resources in the ways that we spend and save money and the things that have been entrusted to us? And I just want to begin by acknowledging on the front end of our conversation this morning that talking about money is already hard enough. Talking about how you save it or spend it or don't Right? That's even more difficult. There can be, I think, a lot of guilt and shame and condemnation that's wrapped up in conversations about how we spend money. And whether that's over financial mistakes that you've made in the past or bad financial situations you are currently in. Maybe it's easy to think, if I was a good Christian, then I'd just be better at managing money. Or sometimes we just feel foolish, right? Maybe we just don't know how to do budgeting or we just don't know how to do investing and we feel like we should just really be farther along by now. And so before we dive into our study this morning, I just want to kind of head all that crap off at the pass. And I want to remind you about the, the redeeming, renewing grace of God. I think Paul Tripp, he sums it up, up best. He, he writes it this way. He says, there is no mountain of debt so big that God's grace isn't bigger. There's no money problem so deep that God's grace isn't deeper. And as we face money, we don't need to panic. We don't need to be paralyzed by fear. We don't have to deny reality to get some peace. We don't have to relieve our consciences by shifting the blame. We don't have to just cynically abandon hope. He says we can face our money issues with hope, not because we are wise or able, but because God is. And he offers us his forgiving, rescuing, transforming grace. You see, God's grace, he goes on to say, it opens the door for a whole new relationship with money for each of us, not because we are good and deserve it, but because God is that good, and he offers us his grace that is powerful and transformative. So that's my heart for you and for me this morning as we think about God's word and what it says about how we spend our money, that God's grace and the goodness of his renewing, empowering, transforming work might shape the way that we think about that. And where we need correction, his grace would be good news that shapes us and calls us in gentleness towards it. And where we need to be affirmed in the right things we're doing, that God's grace would remind us that whatever we're doing that's wise comes from him, not us. And so might his grace be good news for all of us this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for you, and as we come again this morning to talk about money and its uh, power in our lives and how to harness that power so that we love, it deepens our love for you, God, we need your help. We, we can't live as wise stewards without you. 
And so we ask, God, might you humble our hearts, give us ears to hear from you in your word. God, would you correct us gently and call us to faithfulness in you? Might you encourage us in the ways that we're honoring you? And might you be increasingly transforming us by the power of your spirit and by the good news of the gospel in your word to be people who love you with our money? And we pray, amen. Well, like I mentioned this morning, we're going to be talking about what the Bible has to say about how we spend money this morning. And if the theme of our study last week was about uh, basically biblical principles for being a generous steward, then this morning I think could best be summed up by, by, by identifying this, the theme as just biblical principles for living as a wise steward. Biblical principles for living as a wise steward. See, if we want to harness the power of money to deepen our love for God, instead of allowing it to be a master that diverts our love away from him, then we're going to need to learn how to think and act as wise stewards, in addition to being generous stewards. Because the truth is, is that you won't be able to live as a generous steward if you don't also learn to live as a wise steward. You, you can't do one without the other. They go together. And so this morning... What I want to do is just give you four principles this morning, four principles from God's Word that help us to think about what it looks like to live as wise stewards as we spend our money. And the first one is simply this, wise stewardship begins with having a plan. Wise stewardship begins with having a plan. And there's no, there's like, there's no Bible verse that says, thou shalt make a budget, you know? Um, but there are tons of verses that speak to the wisdom of financial planning throughout the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5 says it this way. It says, the plans of the diligent, they lead to profit, just as surely as haste leads to poverty, right? In other words, he's saying, spending money without a plan, that's the surefire way to go broke, that's always the result. If you just spend it without thinking about it, that's how you go broke. It's always the end. And that's true whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 says it this way. Be sure you know the conditions of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. He's talking about your, your resources, your business investments, the, the, your career, right? He says, for riches do not endure forever. Right, the writer of Proverbs is saying, listen, when things are going well and you with your career and your business, when you have more than you need, right, it is still really important to understand and have a plan for your resources because there is absolutely no guarantee that any of it will last. Right, just look at the long list of professional athletes that have made millions of dollars in their, their career and yet are completely, totally broke now. Because they didn't have a plan, they just spent without thinking. See, none of us are pro athletes making millions a year, but, but the truth is, is that there are plenty of you who are in this room right now who make more than you need, who make more than you, than, than you spend. And what I want to encourage you with, just graciously, if you think that just because you're not going into debt without having a plan, that that like just means you don't really need to budget, then the Bible would say that you are a fool and that disaster is right around the corner. Right? All of us need to have a plan as we think about stewarding God's resources. Lastly, Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 29, Jesus makes this statement. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish, everyone is going to ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. 
Now, I just want to be clear. The point that Jesus is making in these verses uh, is not about the, like, the value of budgeting, right? Like, this is part of a larger section of teaching where Jesus is talking about how following him is the kind of decision that you just, you can't make lightly, right? That you need to understand the, the cost of what it means to surrender completely to his kingly rule and reign in your life. But the fact that he compares following him without thinking about it to the foolishness of spending money without actually knowing if you have it or not should clue you into the fact that both of those things are stupid, right? They're both dumb ideas. Neither of them make any sense at all. See, as boring and unspiritual as budgeting may sound, it's an essential aspect of stewarding God's resources. And I need you to hear this. Failing to make a budget or to actually use the budget that you've made it invariably, always, it leads to a misuse of God's resources. Here's why. The default mode of our hearts is rarely, if ever, in line with God's purposes and priorities. All of us know that, right? None of us drift naturally towards God-focused, God-centered uses of our resources. We all drift towards self-focused uses of our money that divert our love away from God and towards other things, which in turn makes it pretty much impossible for us to live as generous stewards, which is the top priority God gives us as his people. So besides the fact that stewarding God's resources, <coughs> excuse me, according to his priorities and purposes, without a thoughtful budget is basically impossible. When you don't have a budget, it just leads to anxiety and worry and, and stress. One author compared using money without a budget to driving a car without a dashboard. He said this, every outing becomes a risky game. Every safe trip merely just delays an inevitable crisis. See, but it's not just that not having a plan for our money has a negative impact on us spiritually or personally. It has a deeply negative impact on us relationally. There's a study conducted at Texas Tech and Kansas State Universities a few years ago found out that, this is a quote from that study, they said, arguments about money are by far the top predictor of divorce. It's not children or sex or in-laws or anything else. It's money for both men and women. See, wise stewardship of God's resources requires a plan. It requires a budget. You would never entrust your financial resources to a financial advisor who didn't have a plan. Right? That doesn't make any sense. And God doesn't do the same. But just like so many areas of our life and our faith, it's a skill that we need to grow in. Your first attempt at a budget is probably not going to be that great. You're probably going to, uh, there's probably going to be a number of important factors that you just completely fail to consider. And I know there was for me, right? And all that to say, if you're new to budgeting, it, it is totally normal to need some help. It's totally normal, right? Aaron and I have both had lots of years of making and following budgets, both personally and for our church. We would be happy to help you think through that and uh, to think wisely through that. But we also totally understand that talking to your pastor about your budget can be a little awkward, right? And so we'd also love to encourage you to reach out to a good friend and former financial advisor. Uh, his name is Dave Clark. Dave is an executive pastor over at Hope Church here in Dubuque. Um, and he genuinely loves to help people with this area of their discipleship. And so uh, we would be glad to put you in touch with him. Dave's run some financial seminars that we've hosted here at River City in the past. 
just a great guy, loves the Lord, and really wants to help you. And so if you have questions about that, talk to me or Aaron. Talk to Dave, right? So why stewardship, right? Begins, it starts with a plan or a budget. The question then they have to ask is what makes a good plan, right? What, make, what makes a good plan? What makes a good budget? And that leads us to the next principle. This is number two. Principle number two, wise stewardship is characterized by budgeting that's based on priorities instead of wants and needs. Wise stewardship is based on budgeting, based on priorities instead of wants and needs. See, we often tend to separate things into the categories of wants and needs to help us make decisions about money. Hannah and I, we just uh, switched over uh, the, the software that we use to kind of track our personal budget. We used Mint for a bunch of years, and they just decided to kick the can and be done. And so we switched over to this program called YNAB, or You Need a Budget, right? And uh, when, you, when you first set that up, one of the very first categories it gives you as options are like wants and needs. But this way of thinking can be problematic for us for a number of reasons. Because the reality is, is that very few things are technically needs. Very few things are technically needs. And when we think like that, it, leads, it usually leads to either a lot of guilt or a lot of self-righteousness. It's usually the, the way it leads. You're, you end up always feeling guilty and second-guessing all the clothes that you buy, or if you should be going out to eat or not, or how nice of a house or car or vacation you have. And rather than embracing God's grace and his generosity towards you, you're always worried about losing his approval or letting him down or what other people think about you. Or on the flip side, you think that because you don't indulge in whatever luxuries that other people have or use, that then you just start looking down on other people, right? Rather than embracing the finished work of Jesus on the cross for you, you begin to construct your own pathways towards righteousness. And you wonder, like, which things can I cut out so I'll be a better Christian? That God will really respect me more, that he'll be more proud of me? Or how many things can I keep in and still be on God's good side? See, neither of those ways of thinking are healthy and good. And since the Bible doesn't draw any absolute lines between needs and wants, I think a much better way to think about stewarding the resources that God's entrusted to us is to think about it through the lens of priorities. See, our priorities as stewards of God's resources, they stem from the identity and the calling that he's given us as his image-bearing disciples. And if you look at passages like Matthew 4 and Matthew 28, we, we, see, the, we see that a, a, a disciple of Jesus can be described in, in three ways. We don't have time to do a deep dive on this, but three ways is that a disciple of Jesus can be described as one who worships Jesus, one who is being changed by Jesus ongoingly, and one who teaches others to do the same. So the question then is, how does our identity and our calling as image-bearing disciples of Jesus, how does that impact our priorities as we think about budgeting and spending? Well, like we saw last week, worshiping Jesus and being changed by him ongoing so that we reflect him, it starts with generosity and giving because that's at the very core of who he is, but it doesn't stop there. I just want to encourage you ask, to ask this question, does the way you spend or budget your money deepen your love and devotion to Jesus or is it diverting your love for him away to something else? Is the way you spend your money actually serving to affirm and empower your worship of something other than Jesus? All right, we talked about this week one when we talked about the idols of power and comfort and control and approval and how underneath the way we use money is always some, some combination of those, those source idols. 
See, the truth is, is that sometimes you might need to cut things out of your budget that aren't inherently bad or wrong because what you're realizing is that spending your resources on those things are feeding your worship of something else. For example, there's, there's nothing wrong with spending money to go out for a nice dinner with your spouse or to go see a, a great concert or movie or show. But if you spend money on those things without thinking twice about it, and yet you have to really wrestle with whether or not you should be giving, then, it's, then that should be a clue that clues you in that you might, those things might be feeding a comfort idol that's diverting your love away from the Lord and towards something else. And those things need to be starved, not indulged. James chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says it this way, When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. You ask so that you can spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Similarly, we're just like it's, there's nothing wrong with spending money to go out for a, a nice meal or go see a show. There's nothing wrong with spending money on getting your hair done, right? Or buying clothes, right? But if you feel the need to look a certain way so that people will notice or approve of you or accept you, then it's likely that your spending in those areas is diverting your love towards the idol of approval and away from the security and the identity that you have in Jesus. And so for a season, you might need to cut back or cut out some of the money you're devoting to those things, right? So that you can, again, use your resources to deepen your love for the Lord. But while some of us are tempted to worship our source idols with our spending, Others of us are tempted to worship our source idols with our saving, right? And so you might not, you might live very modestly, and a, but a large portion of your income goes straight into savings or your investment accounts because that's how you keep yourself safe. That's where your security lies, right? When you think about all the variables and uncertainties of life, you're tempted to think, listen, if I've got enough money, I can survive anything. We'll talk more about this next week when we focus on some biblical principles for, for saving and for dealing with anxiety and some of those things. But the reality is, is that oversaving is just as problematic as overspending because it reveals that the love and devotion and worship of our hearts is being diverted away from the Lord. It's being used to serve another God. And the idol of control is just as much an idol as the idol of comfort and the idol of approval. And so whether it's the way that you budget or you're spending or you're saving, Jesus' words about money in Matthew 6, they ring out, you cannot serve two masters. And so what is your budget helping you worship? What's it helping you be transformed by? Is it by God or is it by something else? What about that last part we talked about our identity, about helping others to do the same? What does it look like for us to use our resources to think with the, with the perspective and the priority of helping others to be changed by Jesus as well and to worship him? Well, see, the reality is that God's given us the mission of making disciples, and he calls us to participate in that work, all of us. And therefore, we need to think about using and prioritizing our resources in order to bless and care for and share the gospel with those in our circles of influence. And again, this starts with giving, but it doesn't stop there. See, it's having the attitude that people are more important than things. 
It looks like valuing hospitality and budgeting so you can have people in your home or hosting parties to build relationships with your neighbors so that you might get to know them and build relationships with them. It looks like investing financially in your kids' spiritual growth, whether that's through summer camps or retreats or conferences. As a parent who's this summer sending multiple kids to camp, I can shoot straight with you. It is not getting cheaper, right? But those are totally worthwhile things to invest in. Maybe it looks like thinking about the size of your vehicle. That's not just based on the needs of your immediate family, but how it might help you serve other families or kids. Han and I are in the process right now of starting to save for for our next vehicle, and we're realizing that if we want to be able to love our kids' friends well, then it's probably going to mean we're going to need to be able to drive them places. Our kids are getting to that that age in their life. And the reality is that we're just not going to be able to do that well with a vehicle that can only seat four people. And so as much as I really don't like minivans, man, we might have to get one, right? right? Or at least something with a third row, right? Maybe it just looks like budgeting so that you can go out to lunch with coworkers or friends in order to build relationships with them instead of just always eating a peanut butter and jelly at your desk because you're desperately trying to get out of debt. Listen, paying off debt and saving for the future, those are important, wise, good things. But people really matter a lot. And if you're just going to eat a PBJ at your desk for the rest of your life so you don't have to worry about debt, but you don't know the people that God sent you to, that's a problem. And I'm going to tell you to be lazy and go out to eat for lunch with your friends every day, right? But I am saying that people, right, like people need to trump getting out of debt, Knowing the people God sent you to, that's important, that's valuable. Save them for the future. Lastly, I think it looks like not spending to the limit so that we can have room to help others when unexpected needs arise. Remember a few years ago when uh, he and I lived in Platteville, there was a couple in our small group who were in the middle of going to school and and figuring out life and all those kinds of things. And uh, they got in two car accidents Totally not their fault, but two car accidents is right in a row. And they used all their resources to get the second car, right? And so they had nothing left at the time. And so as a small group, we, had to, we pooled some resources together so that they were able to put a down payment on another vehicle and take a next step as a family. And the reality is that if we had always been spending to the limit, we'd never have the resources that we needed to be able to care for the good of others and to be able to help others when there's times in need, Right? See, the reason why a disciple budgets with the worship of God and the good of others in mind is because we understand that this life is not all there is. See, that brings us to the third principle. See, a a wise steward, they budget with an eternal perspective. A wise steward budgets with an eternal perspective. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 not to store up treasures for ourselves here on earth, not because they're bad, not because they're not fun, not because they're not a blessing. He says don't store them up because they don't last. They don't last. Remember a while back reading about a pastor who took a trip with some missionaries he was visiting in Egypt. And while there, they visited these two grave sites. The first was a guy named William Borden. Borden was a Yale graduate and heir to a huge financial fortune, and he rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims in the Middle East, and he gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars towards missions in order to be able to do that. And and yet after only four months of ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis and died at the age of 25. 
And this pastor talked about how when you got to his grave, what you saw after describing his love for God and the sacrifices that he had made, the epitaph on, on his grave ended with this phrase, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. From Borden's grave, they, they went on to the Egyptian museum and they saw King Tut's coffin. And just like Borden, King Tutankhamun died young. He was just 17. He was buried, though, with solid gold chariots and a thousand of gold artifacts. His gold coffin was buried with gold, within golden tombs, within golden tombs, because the ancients believed that in the afterlife was one where you could take your earthly treasures, and yet all the treasures intended for King Tut's eternal enjoyment stayed right there in the ground with him. Until Howard Carter discovered the the burial chamber in the early 1900s. The pastor wrote this. He said, I was struck by the contrast between these two graves. For Borden's was obscure and dusty and hidden off a back street littered with garbage. Tutankhamun's tomb glittered with unimaginable wealth. And yet where are these two men now? For one who lived in opulence and called himself a king, is in the misery of a Christless eternity. For the other who lived a modest life in the service of the one true king is enjoying everlasting reward in his Lord's presence. Tut's life was tragic because of an awful truth discovered too late. He could not take his treasures with him. William Borden's hover was triumphant. Why? Because instead of leaving behind his treasures, he sent them on ahead of him. I want to encourage you to ask the question as you think about budgeting, as you think about how you're spending your resources, is to ask God to help you to spend and to budget in light of eternity rather than just today. I know that I need God's help to shape that reality in me because just like you, I am tempted to live for the here and the now. I'm tempted to just want to be distracted and want to be amused. Let me just be clear. As stewards, we have plenty of real needs, and God is good and generous, and he doesn't demand that we live in poverty or that we just like resent making reasonable expenditures on things. Like, he's not after that. And I'm not here to tell you like what you should be spending your money on or not. But what I do want to do is encourage you to ask God to give you wisdom and ask him to speak to your heart about it. Ask him, like, just talk with him about it. Ask him to give you insight into what is going on in your heart. But I'll tell you this. One of the easiest ways to tell if you're living with an eternal perspective or not is if we're spending money that we don't have and going into debt. And that brings us to the fourth principle I want to show you this morning. Last one. A wise steward avoids debt as much as possible. A wise steward avoids debt as much as possible. See, despite what people think, the Bible is not universally opposed to any and all debt. Because the truth is, not all debt is the same. Right? A mortgage is different than credit card debt. Right? A business investment is very different than gambling debt. Right? But while the Bible isn't opposed to all debt, it does warn us repeatedly about the danger of debt. As Proverbs 22, verse 7 famously puts it, right? the borrower becomes slave to the lender. Right? In other words, when you owe someone money, they end up controlling your life in some ways. And that's why Paul encourages us in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, he says, to let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. He says, listen, pay off your debts. Get out of that. Like That's not helping you follow and love Jesus. 
And while we don't have time to do the deep dive and all the nuances of what the Bible has to say about debt this morning, what I want to point out is simply this. Debt isn't just a problem. It's not just bad because it is difficult on us personally, because it harms our relationships, because it makes us full of anxiety and nervousness. That's not why it's a problem. Or just because it just keeps us from saving or having good things or experiences. See, the real problem with debt for a steward of God's resources is that it keeps us from using his resources for his kingdom values. It's tied up in other things. See, the first thing that people cut when they have debt is almost always generosity and giving. I've heard countless college grads tell me, hey, when I get, when I get out of debt, after I pay off my school loans, yeah, then I'll start giving. One, that rarely happens. And two, debt doesn't mean we cut God short. It means we cut other things short because the, they aren't our things. Right? When we do that, it, it means that we're living like owners, not like stewards. I just want to be clear. Sometimes there are extenuating circumstances in life, medical emergencies, natural disasters, unexpected job losses that lead us into debt. And a wise steward, they do their best to plan ahead for those kinds of things, but sometimes even the best plans aren't enough and we're forced to borrow money for a time or a season. But the truth is, is that by and large, Right? The reason why we are so crippled by debt, especially in this country, is because we are endlessly unsatisfied. We're just not content. We're living for the here and the now. We need it. Whatever it is, we need it now. And we either can't or just refuse to wait. See, but living within our means should be a high priority for stewards of God's resources, especially when it comes to credit card debt, because it almost always reveals this temporary, temporal ownership mentality in us rather than an eternal stewardship mentality. Right? It shows you something's messed up in your heart. While we're on the topic of debt, we got to talk about the most famous person who talks about that at all. We got to talk about Dave Ramsey for just a minute, right? Right? He's like the Jesus of debt, right? Um, there's a lot that could be said about Dave Ramsey and financial peace and everything that goes along with that, right? And in general, much of the practical advice on budgeting and getting out of debt is very helpful. And to his credit, he often talks about the joy of giving, right? And the fact that he makes finances and budgeting sound interesting, like that's a minor miracle, right? The fact that you're following like the clips and listening along, like that's a, that's a miracle in and of itself. That being said, the tone and posture and emphasis that much of his content takes, I think is problematic. His thinking and advice often tends towards extremes, leaving very little if no room for nuance or alternative perspectives. And while that can be really helpful for getting a point across, it often paints this unrealistic and unhelpful view of what like, life in the kingdom really looks like. Additionally, while he references scripture, he often does so with little to no concern for the context that the passages are found in. And it kind of just, if you do any digging, it kind of just turns into lip service a lot of the time. Most importantly, his repeated emphasis on getting out of debt for the purpose of generating wealth and being able to live the lifestyle of your choosing, that just does not square with the biblical perspectives on money. 
See, it's not wrong to be wealthy. It is not wrong to make a lot of money. But the Bible, it repeatedly warns us about the pursuit of wealth and instead calls us to this attitude marked by gratitude and contentedness with a focus on building Jesus' kingdom and not our own. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says it this way, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We're not going to take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. For those who want to get rich... Just, I need you to hear this. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. James is not mincing words. He is not unclear. He is not being vague. He says the desire to build wealth is dangerous. It is not wrong to have wealth, but you need to treat it like a fire. It is, it is incredibly powerful. He goes on, the last verse, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So when it comes to Dave Ramsey, I would encourage you against doing the deep dive right? Against just like going all in, right? And instead, just to take the legitimately helpful principles for budgeting and getting out of debt, right? The debt snowball, that's brilliant. That's really going to help you, right? Some principles for budgeting based on spending less than you make, thinking about saving. Those are wise and good and helpful things. But just like take the helpful stuff and leave the rest. So that's four biblical principles for spending as a wise steward. Four principles. And like all aspects of stewardship, right, our spending is an act of worship and it proceeds from a heart that has been changed, not a, just a list of do's and don'ts. Right? The Bible gives us lots of freedom, not a checklist, and it compels us to rely on God's spirit to provide discernment and wisdom as we think about our spending. And as stewards, right, we need to start with a plan. You need a budget. Not the app, but like you just, you need a budget, right, right? And encourages us then to make one based on our priorities that stem from our identity as disciples of Jesus, worshiping Jesus, being changed by him, helping others to do the same, thinking with an eternal perspective, avoiding debt so that we can direct our resources towards kingdom purposes. And then in the famous words of Aaron Rodgers, relax, right? Relax. Take your spouse out for a nice date. Plan a vacation with your family. Fix up your house. Throw a party. One author puts it this way. He said, with guidance from the word of God and the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, it is possible to spend money in a way that is neither selfish nor frivolous or sinful, and yet instead honors God. You can do it, right? You absolutely can, but here's the problem. If we're honest, we don't. You totally can, but if we're honest, we don't. Sure, we might have a budget, but it's feeding our idols, not fueling our love for the Lord. And we're going into debt because we're acting like foolish owners who think that this life is what matters most instead of living in view of eternity, focused on the glory of God and the good of others. And to make it worse, most of the time, our debt to the bank makes ways heavier on our heart than our debt to God. And because we fail to recognize that our misuse of his resources is not just a mistake, 
but it is a mutinous rebellion. It's a rejection of his kingly rule and reign. It's the, it's the claim that he's not the owner of everything, that we are, that we'll use it the way we want. It's an enthroning of ourselves, and that's the very definition of sin. And because our sin and our rebellion against God, because of the desire to use things to advance our own agenda, we are all in need of a Savior. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross in place of rebellious financial fools like you and like me. And when you see that unlike the bank, God is relentlessly patient with you. And when you see that although you are really an unworthy servant, steward who lives instead like an entitled owner, And that in spite of that, God didn't withhold his son from you, but instead in love sent his son not only to live the life you should have lived, but to die the death your sin deserved. When those truths sink deeply into your heart, that's the thing that transforms you like nothing else can. There's no budgeting principle that's going to transform your heart. Only the gospel can do that. Only Jesus's Love for foolish owners instead of wise stewards. That's the one thing that changes you. So the beauty of the gospel is the one thing that transforms us from foolish, self-focused owners to wise, kingdom-focused stewards. And it's the good news of the gospel that we remember and celebrate every week when we take communion. Reminding ourselves that although we were foolish owners who lived for ourselves, Jesus came, his body, his blood were broken and shed so that you and I might be transformed out of love for him into wise stewards. Who instead of diverting our love away from him with the way we use money, deepen our love for him. Use it as a tool to worship him. And so communion might not make, doesn't make you right with Jesus and it doesn't save you, but it's a chance for the gospel to become, to be alive again in your heart and mind. And so if you're here this morning and you put your faith in Jesus to pay the debt that you owe for your sin, then go back and take communion. Take the bread and the juice as a reminder of all he's done for you. If you're here this morning, you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, you're still figuring out what it means to follow him and you don't even understand the debt that you owe him. I want to encourage you, you are welcome here, but hold off on taking communion because God's not after religious rituals and he's not after going through the motions. He's after a heart that sees not only that he's paid your debt, but that he has satisfied your soul. So as we sing and as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, if you've put your trust in Jesus, then, then go back and take communion. But wherever you're at, I want to encourage you, talk with God. Some of you are here, and the truth is, is that when it comes to money, you realize that you have spent your whole life living like a foolish owner. And you're seeing God's calling to begin to think and act like a wise steward. And I want to encourage you, the first step that you need to take is repentance. Don't try to change your behaviors first. You've got to deal with what's going on in your heart. And so talk to God about it. Be honest that you've been living like a foolish, selfish owner. And ask him to change your heart and cause the good news of the gospel to cause you to be transformed into a wise and generous steward. And what that will lead to is that you'll take real next steps to grow in wisdom. Make a budget. Follow it. Ask for help from others to do it. 
Ask for help from God to identify where the spending and saving patterns that you have are diverting your love away from him towards another idol and work on getting out of debt. As a community, we want to help you with that. And so you don't have to hide in guilt and shame if debt is something that is, that is a problem in your life right now. We're all sinners. None of us, like none of us have any right to have any, we don't have anything over each other. And so we're free to be honest with one another because the thing that we all need is Jesus and his grace. Others of you are here. I'm going to wrap up with this. Wow, we, man, our time went so quick. Others of you are here. And while there is certainly room for all of us to grow as we think about these principles for wise stewardship, by God's grace, the truth is you're doing pretty well. Right? And the fact is that by living as a wise steward, you have generated some wealth, not because that was your goal, but because it's the natural result of wise stewardship. The Proverbs just repeatedly highlight, like when we use money God's way, it usually leads to like having more than we need. And the question for you is not how do you steward the resources God's entrusted to you, not when you have a small amount, not when there's just scarcity, but how do you steward God's resources wisely in the midst of abundance? How do you do it when you have more than you need? And if that's you, I just want to encourage you with three things as we close. Number one, think about increasing your giving and generosity. One author put it this way, God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. He gives us more than we need so that we can generously give back to his kingdom. So think about increasing your giving. Secondly, plan ahead for some of those unforeseen things that we talked about that often lead us into debt, right? Grow your emergency account. Think about investing wisely for the future, especially if you're young, right? Start taking advantage of compounding interest, right? Do it now when you're young. It makes a huge difference later on in life. Think about saving so that you can leave an inheritance or a blessing to your kids. Proverbs 13, 22 says that a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, right? The world ain't getting cheaper, one way we can bless our kids is by passing some things on to them. We've got to do that carefully. But there's wisdom in that. But lastly, third, I want to encourage you, think about, think about not just not being a borrower, think about becoming someone who's characterized by being a lender. Deuteronomy chapter 28, God says this to his people. He says, the Lord is going to open the heavens, the storehouses of his bounty. He's going to send rain on your land in season and bless all the work of your hands so that you'll lend to many nations, but not borrow from any. Remember, my grandpa was a, a, just a school teacher his whole life. But he invested wisely and had a great pension plan. And, and when my grandpa retired, he made, he made way more money in his retirement than he ever made when he was working. But he didn't use all those extra resources to start living a lavish life, he and my grandma. Instead, they were characterized by being people who were like gracious with it, like incredibly generous, incredibly generous. But also they were people who lent money to others all the time. And they were just like handing it out to hold something over people, but in love for people. I remember the very first loan I ever got, I got an internship in high school. I needed a car. No bank's going to give a 15-year-old kid like a car loan, right? And so I went to my grandpa and I said, like, I really, need some re I really need some money so I can get a car so I can get to this job opportunity. And he wrote up a contract with me and he like, lent me some money and over a couple of years I paid him back, right? That was so good for my heart. It taught me like, how to think about paying back things that I owe. It taught me about like, 
you know, whatever. I'm, I can't remember the details, but I'm pretty sure my, my grandpa probably forgave all the interest and gave it back to me, right? But he did that not just with me, but with lots of people. And oftentimes, he'd just at the end just forgive people's debts. You see, he was characterized by being someone who was a steward in abundance and in scarcity. And maybe some of you are here this morning, and that's the edge for you that God needs to help work on your hearts in. And if that's you, great. That's so good. I'm so glad. Ask God to help you steward, both in scarcity and in abundance. See, God wants us to live as wise stewards, and he not only forgives us when we don't, he died for us knowing we wouldn't in the first place. And he died so that you and I, so that he might forgive us, and so that he might fill us with his empowering presence of his spirit, so that we might be increasingly transformed into generous and wise stewards, the people he's made us to be. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning. I have gone long, but I ask, Lord Jesus, would you be gracious to cause like whatever you are trying to say to us this morning to sink deeply into our hearts. Whatever advice was just from me, just like let that go out the window. God, we want to be wise stewards who spend our money in ways that honor you, that build your kingdom, that deepen our love for you rather than divert it away from you. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus. Help us to be wise stewards in the midst of scarcity and wise stewards in the midst of abundance. We need you to do both things. Remove our guilt and our shame. Fill us with a reminder of your grace so that we can ask one another for help, and so that we can grow in living in ways that honor you with our money, we pray. Amen.